Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Euro Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, sitting on Wembley Way after England qualified for the European Championship final. Take on Mela and he's beaten him and he gets towards the byline and he's still going.
Welcome to Wembley Way, the uh, day after the night before. There's a couple of kids kicking around, footballs everywhere. Um, I think the mood of the nation has been one of a huge, huge party over the last 24 hours. If you're listening to this and it's uh, Thursday morning or Friday morning and you are... I imagine you're still in a sort of state of drunken stupor, or if you're not, you're certainly high on life. I think that's probably just about okay. Kevin Hatchard is here. Hello. Hello. You're right. What a day. What a what, week. What a what tournament. A what a tournament. What, what's going on? <laughs> How has this happened? And of course, it, for all of his cynicism and for all of his Scotland supporting and desperate to get away <laughs> from England because, you know, he's, uh, he's an anti Gareth Southgate, anti everybody in the England team. They'll never win anything. They're rubbish, all that kind of stuff. I think it was 2018 when we had a text, a real angry text row about the fact that you were so anti England. You're now sitting in your garden in isolation, having followed England to Rome in an England shirt. I mean, what have they done to you? They've, they've turned even you. They've melted even this cynical heart. Good to see you both, by the way. There was a, a time in Rome at the weekend when, when maybe I thought I wouldn't ever see you two again, so I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> not that you panicked. Not that you panicked, Everyone to by the shy way. away from drama. Yeah. No. Not that, you had, not that you catastrophized the whole situation. It was, just, it, was just a, it was just you hadn't had your test, mate, you know. <laughs> but do you know what? I think I'm an example of a lot of people in this country because I've not been alone in being cynical when it comes to the England football team, when it comes to, to Gareth Southgate. And I won't be the only person who owes Gareth Southgate and those group of players a huge apology because they've done what no politician uh, has managed to do. They've reunited a nation. They are a, a fantastically likeable group of players. Gareth Southgate is the, is the perfect statesperson and every tactical decision that he's made in this tournament, even hauling off Jack Grealish half an hour after coming on in midweek has paid off he's been brave he's been ballsy he, he said it himself last night if I pick the wrong team I'm going to get killed for it he hasn't picked the wrong team so far and even if they lose the final and I sincerely hope that doesn't happen I think they've achieved more than I could have dreamt of and more than a lot of people expected even you Sam at the start of this tournament you, you were a bit of a doom merchant you thought last 16 could be as good as it got for England here they are yep. in the final yeah, look, look, I'm always very positive about the way that Gareth has managed the team. Um, and I think that having spent so much time with them, I'm lucky enough to see that they've planned so meticulously and they are diligent in the way they operate. The atmosphere in the group carries them a long way as well. But they've also got no end of talent. There's a lot of talent in that group. And I think we're starting to realise just how talented they are. But you're right, I did think the last 16 was going to be an issue for them. And I thought it was going to be an issue for them because it was going to have to be that they got over a major hump, which was beating someone decent. But they haven't shied away from jumping over hurdles, have they, Kevin? Everything that was usually a glass ceiling has been smashed through. Well, our last 16 game, and we've talked about it on this show before, Sam, that was always going to be the key. You, and that's why the talk about England winning the group or finishing second to an extent was so false because it was actually a real benefit to win the group, to have that tough last 16 game. Because once you win that, it reinforces everything. It reinforces that belief. England knew that they'd only have one game away from Wembley. And what I've really loved about the way that Gareth Southgate has led this team is that we can give our opinion about the team Fans can give their opinion about the team. He doesn't care. 
Yeah. And he's taught himself not to care. He's taught his players not to care. That's not a disrespectful thing. But what that is, is let's turn the background noise down to zero. And they do that superbly. Yeah. And, and being someone who uh, is, is obviously on social media, sometimes it is good to just dial down that noise <laughs> yeah. and avoid what everybody else is saying. Because actually, you can, ke- you can get distracted by that. And everybody has got an opinion. And you can't please everybody all of the time. And that certainly has been the case and he was you know castigated for including so many right backs he was given a bit of a, a doing down because he put Kieran Trippier into a game in which many people thought was probably a regressive move but all of those have, uh, have come off and I think Crook is right even to mention the the Trippier on and, and Jack Grealish off moment which you know if it, that goes wrong if that goes wrong you are in a world of pain what about Raheem Sterling by the way because when brilliant. he was when he was named in the team for the first game, there were a lot of dissenting voices there. Didn't have a great second half of the season at Manchester City. Everybody wanted Jack Grealish on from the start. I think he's used Grealish superbly as an impact sub. And Raheem Sterling, I think he's player of the tournament, isn't he? What, yeah, whatever yeah, I, happens. Crook, I don't mean weekend. to interrupt here, but you know, I don't know if you listened to the podcast that you were supposed to be on, but you didn't turn up to because you were in a jail in Rome. But Kevin said this <laughs> on, on Sunday. It was, it was, this is Kevin's line. You've just stolen it. He's already, <laughs> oh, already crawled this. stealing mate. my best lines again. Yeah. Uh, I think what's really interesting about this, that Grealish moment, I think is key because there was a lovely reaction from Grealish to that. When Southgate went across to him, to not apologise, but to kind of explain what the idea was and why he'd taken him off. And he said, I don't care, Gaffer, we've reached the final. And this is the key, that the players... It's <laughs> true, though, isn't it? Yeah. And if you... It's all very well having a really good bond with your players. That, that's one part of it, and he's done that superbly. But you then have to show the pathway to victory. You have to show that all of these decisions you make, all of these tactics, they have to work. And as soon as players see that they work, that's when you've won the battle with them. It was the same with Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. As soon as all of these little changes, these seemingly crazy things in training, as soon as they started working and they were winning games, that's when you win players over. And this feels to me like a group of players that will go along with anything he says. Okay, let's quickly talk about the Denmark game then. Before we move on to the final and what it's going to to mean and what it's going to look like because Italy are a very difficult team to beat and and that's been proved by them coming through some tough matches so far. Probably tougher matches than England have have had to go through. But I thought the Denmark game was a really tough match and they dealt with adversity well and that's something they haven't had to do over the course of this tournament up until this point. Okay, maybe a little bit of that came in the Scotland game when they were sort of booed off at half-time during that match. But actually, Crook, you know, they had their first setback. They conceded a goal from a, from a set piece. Actually, I thought Jordan Pickford got a lot of criticism for it. I think his positioning wasn't quite right and the wall wasn't quite right, but ultimately it was well struck from Damsgaard. But they, they reacted well to that. They came back, got themselves back into the game. And then towards the end of the match, I thought they managed it really well. Yeah, and it won't do them any harm because I think what they wouldn't have wanted was an easy route to the final. And they have had a relatively easy route. Just say the Scotland game, maybe they took a bit of flack because they froze um, against the old enemy. But apart from that, I mean, the Ukraine win was almost too easy. I think that was a concern for Gareth Southgate, that there were a lot of people who thought England could just turn up and roll over this Denmark team. I never saw that. You know, I didn't say I actually predicted 2-1 in extra time. So I'll go with a hat-trick in the final at the weekend. But they've got great character, uh, the Danish team. They've got great technical ability as well. So it didn't surprise me that it was so tight. I think it was... 
ebbs and flows really because England started really positively. I was really impressed with the way they attacked the game from the off in the semi-final. Certainly weren't daunted by the occasion. Conceded that goal and then went straight up the other end and created two glorious chances. The one that yeah. Sterling missed and, and then the own goal. Uh, then it was a nervy second half. Probably England the better team but couldn't really argue with the outcome. And then they found a way to go again in extra time. It was never a penalty. I should say that. It was, if it had gone the other way, we'd have been moaning about that for decades. But Yeah, but you pe- say it was never a penalty. It's not the softest penalty I've seen given in the, in the tournament. And also, you know, there was a situation in the Scotland game where in the Premier League, you would have seen a penalty given against Rah- uh, for Raheem Sterling, which he didn't get. And you go back to the Damsgaard goal, actually, I'm not sure it was a free kick. I mean, I spoke to Peter Wharton about it on air at the time. And, you know, Peter sort of gave you his impression. But I've spoke to him since that and just ex- told him, asked him to explain to me exactly why the penalty was given. And he, and he sort of said, before the tournament, everyone was given an instruction. Impeding an opponent is an offence. And the first challenge on Sterling makes him change course. The second, by Matthias Jensen, made contact and caused Sterling to go down. The referee had a great viewing position, saw it. He thought Sterling was impeded. The VAR, as a result of that, has got no evidence then when he looks at the monitors to overturn it. And it has to be enough evidence to have a contrary view. It has to be clear and it has to be obvious. And then he said to me, Sterling did not dive. Yeah, absolutely. Dived. I, I don't think he dived, and I don't think it was a VAR error. I think it was a refereeing mistake. It was a mistake I, I, by the on-field official. I would underline that about Sterling. I don't think he dived at all, but I think what it is, regardless of people's views on the penalty, it's indicative of Sterling's attitude to this whole tournament. He will run at you. He will make you make decisions. He will drag you into areas you don't want to be. He will make life uncomfortable for the opponent. He never hides. He's always trying to dart around, trying to find the spaces. He has been so consistent all the way through. And as Alex has alluded to there, under a huge amount of pressure, a lot of external noise, a lot of external pressure, but this is what he's worked all his life for. This is what he has, you know, his family have sacrificed to, to help him pursue this dream. This is what it's all about, these games, and he's risen to the occasion. It's also, isn't it, absolutely fabulous for a guy who grew up in the shadow of Wembley Stadium, you know, educated and brought up in Brent, the borough of Brent, where Wembley is situated, watched the stadium being constructed from the playing fields in which he learned his trade and then is the star of the tournament for England up until this point. So it's, it's a great story, I think. I know that you know people get a little bit sort of hit up about how... I, mean, I saw in Marker today, they suggested that you know England and English people can never moan about uh, Spanish players diving or foreign players diving anymore because this is what... Uh, now is the case. Look, to be honest with you, it can't, it can't be that we're not allowed to do it and everybody else is, by the way. I'm still not suggesting that he did do that. But anyway, look, I think sometimes you need a little bit of good fortune and I'd suggest that England got a little bit good for, of good fortune there. But I'd also suggest that they were the better team. They were. Yeah, they were the better team. Yeah, yeah no, no, no question about that. I think the Denmark is one that we will remember forever. Um, and I think they did their country proud just by managing to galvanise themselves yes. after the Ericsson situation and reaching a semi-final. And I think they could be a force to be reckoned with moving forward. And there's some good young players in that team. I think they've got an excellent coach. I thought his words on Gareth Southgate afterwards were, 
were nice as well. The, the respect that Casper Yulman uh, showed for the England manager. One of the more bizarre stories in the fallout of the game, I think it was in the Italian media, suggesting that UEFA have done Boris Johnson a favour with that penalty call because he helped stop the Super League. It's just, just incredible, isn't it? I think that's all about applying pressure ahead of the final, quite frankly. And I think we'll see a few of those articles in Italian media. Just a couple of things. The, the, the temptation with Denmark, I think, is to paint this as everything that happened after that awful incident with Christian Eriksen and to suggest that they were carried on this emotional wave. That is true to an extent. But let's not forget, this is a side that's been playing good football for years. And this was a side that was playing good football before Kasper Hulman was even put in charge. You know, Olga Raida was in charge before him and had done a great job in qualifying for the tournament in the first place. If it had been played when it was going to be played, Kasper Hulman wouldn't have been in charge. But what Hulman's been able to do is bring that personal touch. He's been able to navigate an incredibly difficult situation. And they've done the country proud and they've done themselves proud. I think it is, as you say, worth pointing out their recent results. If you have a look at their World Cup qualifying results in March, I think they won with an average uh, number of goals per game of five or six and ended up um, not conceding during that. They've, they've got every chance of being at the World Cup in 2022. Would you expect them to be uh, there? They beat England uh, at Wembley in the Nations League. They had a little struggle against Belgium, but actually they played a, a really good first game against them. And so there are, there are a lot of talents in that Denmark team. And you're right, it's not just about the Christian Eriksen thing. There's a lot more going on besides. Italy going to be a different prospect, though, for England when the final comes around on Sunday. I wonder whether or not Gareth Southgate's going to change his team again. He has done for the last 36 matches. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
The challenge comes in, but here is Chiesa. Chiesa's right foot shot. Wonderful goal. Italy lead in the semi-final. Unai Simon waits for Spain. Jorginho right footed. Oh, audaciously done. And Jorginho has done it for Italy. Calmly rolls in the penalty. And the Azzurri spin onto the Wembley turf in celebration. Italy against England is Sunday night, live on TalkSport. And I can't quite believe I'm saying this, but we do have a final to look forward to. If you started this podcast and you wanted uh, just to have a preview of the final and you've skipped to this point, then that's absolutely fine. We understand that you've obviously taken in a lot of information about what happened on uh, Wednesday. Was it Wednesday night? Was it Tuesday? I can't remember. I'm completely <laughs> dizzy about the whole thing. But anyway, I'm sure you've seen a lot of uh, uh, reaction to that game. So let's have a look forward to the a game between Italy and England. And, and Italy, who have come through some tough games themselves, they've just about got over the line against Spain in a penalty shootout. They beat Belgium, but they were hanging on towards the end of that game. They did very well in their group stages, but even Austria gave them problems at Wembley, Kevin. They did. And I think it was really interesting that Leonardo Bonucci went straight over once he'd been uh, let back in by the steward of course who thought he was a fan so <laughs> once he managed to talk his way back into onto the playing surface he actually went over to Luis Enrique the Spain coach and said that is the hardest game we've had in this this big unbeaten run that we've had they gave them an incredible game they won the midfield battle Spain we talked a lot about that battle between that Spain three and the Italian three and Spain won it hands down and that's why Italy found it so tough but you see the two sides of this Italian team they're very modern in the way they press they're very modern in the way they attack and get the fullbacks forward but they still have that old school ability to dig in and be a cohesive unit and they really needed that against Spain so they've had to fight through against Austria they had to really resist Belgium in the second half of that quarterfinal, and they've had to really scrap their way through against the Spanish as well. A couple of things that will be different to the Spain game for, for Italy is that, obviously, they had to play with uh, Emerson at left-back, which is a good thing for England because Spinazzola was a real danger on that left-hand side before he got his injury, and we, we wish him all the best because he was one of the players of the tournament prior to that. And in the first 45 minutes of the game, against Spain. They didn't really have anyone to mark Chiellini and Bonucci. They will have someone to mark in this game. And I think they'll quite relish that because I think they were impressive in that they didn't get drawn out into a, a more advanced position, therefore leaving space in behind for the wingers in that game against Luis Enrique's side. A tactic that didn't work for him. But England have got to be a little bit careful about how they try to breach that Italian black back line. They're going to have to be patient. I mean, I think it's interesting with Emerson, who I think is a bit derided in the Premier League when you look at his Chelsea career, but I think he showed why in Italy that they really, they really value him as a defender. Um, maybe they miss Spinazzola going forward, but defensively, I thought Emerson was excellent. Uh, but if you, if you look at the way that, that Spain approached the game with that false number nine, that did cause Italy problems. And I wonder, listen, he's not going to drop Harry Kane, so he's not going to play false number nine, Gareth Southgate, but this could be the ideal game where Harry Kane does drop deep into midfield and allows the likes of Raheem Sterling to bomb on ahead of him and tries to move that ageing Italian defence, we have to say that, 
out of position. Kevin, did you think that it was the force nine that caused them the problems or did you think it was the width that the two wingers held that caused the problems for the Italian back line? Yeah, and I think as well, there were two things. So Danny Olmo was absolutely terrific. He was... His apart from his shooting. It, apart from his shooting and apart from his penalty. Uh, but he's so clever in the pockets of space that he takes up and he is able to drag defenders out of position. Pedri was immaculate. Luis Enrique talked about that afterwards. Have you ever seen a, a kid of his age have a tournament like that? It was even better than, you know, Iniesta uh, early in his career, which is <laughs> an incredible thing for him to say, but I think he's right. Um, Busquets was great as well. So that set the platform. And Italy were finding it really difficult to not only pick up the runners, but also get moving themselves. You won't see many players cage Marco Verratti in the way that Koke did. It was sensational marking. And I wonder if Gareth Southgate will look at that and think, how can we disrupt Verratti in that same way? That's another thing, Crook, as well, isn't it? You know, the midfield is their sort of key area. Jorginho's been fantastic up until this point. Barella, Verratti, two very good players, but players who will win the ball and use it wisely. England at present, the way they line up, they only have two in there, so they're going to get outnumbered. So he's got to think about that. Yeah, so you wonder, does Jordan Henderson maybe come in and, and make it a three? Could Mason Mount possibly be sacrificed for this game? I'm sure these are all uh, thoughts that are running through Gareth Southgate's head. He will have a plan because you mentioned the meticulous uh, planning that he does with his coaching staff. Um, they will have been aware that Italy were probably their likely opponent in the final. I'm sure they had a pl- plan for Spain as well, but they'll, they'll leave no stone unturned. But as you say, he likes to tinker his lineup, so maybe that is a, a definite option for him. I thought Phillips grew in stature as the semi-final went on. I thought he was a bit nervy in the first half on Wednesday night, gave the ball away on one or two occasions. But once he got that out of his system, actually had a, a really good game. So it's very difficult if you look at possibly leaving him out to make way for Jordan Henderson. Yeah, but, but it's worth pointing go- out because you said he gets better as the semi-final goes on. A lot of that is to do with the fact that everybody else gets very, very tired and he doesn't. Yeah, and that's down to Bielsa's coaching methods and the fact that Leeds are just about the fittest team in the Premier League. But when we first started on our podcast journey, I think we talked about the the, the squad depth and how important it would be with the five subs. And we saw that, you know, Gareth Southgate played his hand perfectly because Denmark had used most of their subs and he still had plenty of options at his disposal. I think these are the two strongest squads in the tournament in terms of Italy and England and the options they have to come off the bench. I expect this game to go deep. I think it will probably go into extra time. I can see it being nil-nil after 90 minutes when you look at both their defensive records. (laughs) Don't do that to me again. It was hard enough last night. I, well, I think it might go to penalties. That's my prediction, England to win on penalties. Um, I'll be honest with you. I had a tension headache with about six minutes to go. I was hunched over and I was like... I think we no, all you, did. You're counting down <laughs> the minutes. I kept looking at it going, come on, it goes faster than this. It was, it was slow, wasn't it? But I think those benches are going to be really, really important. Yeah. So, and again, Gareth Southgate, if he thinks he hasn't picked the right starting lineup, if he tries to go into a three in midfield and it doesn't work, I think he'll be quick to change it. He's shown Ke- in this tournament he isn't afraid of that. Kevin, let's talk about the manager, Roberto Marcini, uh, Mancini, because he is a, a, an exquisite football manager whose achievements in Italy and in England sometimes get underplayed a little bit because of what has followed him at both clubs. I think you know he did very well with Inter, but it was followed by Jose Mourinho who won, I think, the treble. So his achievements ended up being eclipsed. Similarly, at Manchester City, he's been followed by Pep Guardiola, albeit one removed. But 
all the focus has been on what Pep has achieved rather than what he did. He delivered their first title in 44 years. He's a very good football manager, a great tactician. He's an incredible tactician and what he's done is similar to what Gareth Southgate's done in the sense that he hasn't tried to take it all on his shoulders. He's surrounded himself with people who are very intelligent, very good coaches, very good leaders. You know, guys like Alberto Giovanni, what a stylish man he is, by the way. Um, <laughs> They're all stylish. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, they didn't uh, rub off on Crook when he went out there and came back. I thought he was going to come back looking like uh, Don Giovanni. He came back looking like Dom Jolly, but, you know, that's just the way is there's only a certain amount of raw material you have to work with quite (laughs) frankly when was the last time dom jolly got a mention in in mainstream media bringing it back bringing it back i I think he so he's done that he's surrounded himself with those guys and even a a guy jenny vio who many people won't necessarily have heard of won't be on their radar but he's a guy that used to work for a bank and he has suddenly become this set piece specialist and they brought him in he's got thousands of set piece routines and if you look at what the italians have done throughout this tournament They'll do routines at corners and free kicks, and you'll think, what are they up to? And they're all scripted. They work incredibly hard on that kind of thing. So, a bit like, like an NFL Ga- playbook. Exactly, exactly. So like Gareth Southgate, there's this incredible attention to detail. The other thing he's done is he's been able to create a cohesive unit and you feel like he's honest with the players. And you guys will have had this as well. When we speak to ex-players, one of the things they value above all else is honesty. If you're not going to play me, just tell me. Don't make out that I'm going to have a chance of winning a, a battle for a goalkeeper slot or anything like that if I'm not going to. So he's been honest with them. And they really do feel like a team. And there are real, it's a real mirror image, I think, between what Mancini's done and what Southgate's done. I was going to say, that's the same for England, isn't it? Because one of the points that Gary Neville made on television on Wednesday was that in his day, you sort of knew what the first 11 were going to be. And then the other players sort of sulked around the, the, the training ground, sulked in the dressing room. We've not had any of that. I mean, you look at Phil Foden, dyed his hair blonde to look like Gaza, clearly thought this was going to be his summer, his tournament. He's barely featured. He's been a fringe player, really. Hasn't complained. Grealish has taken one for the team, coming on when, when defenders are tired and being perfectly happy just to go off when England are trying to see out that win in the semi-final. Marcus Rashford, a key player under Gareth Southgate, hasn't really impacted the tournament. But nobody's complaining. Connor Cody is just delighted to be there. Aaron Ramsdale, who I know really well, was right in the forefront of the celebrations. He knows he's not going to get on on the pitch. He's there to keep morale up with the fellow goalkeepers, kick a few balls about in the warm-up. But they're all just grateful to be part of this incredible journey. And I don't think that's been the case with England for a long, long time. And also, this has been complicated by the fact that they have 26 players in the squad and only 23 can make it into a match day squad, which actually means he's almost got to leave players out of the starting 11. Then he's got to leave some more out of the squad itself, which is it's quite disappointing if that happens to you quite a lot. And I know he's had to have one conversation where, you know, someone has been left out a couple of times and I, I felt as if well, they, they felt as if they, he was sort of dro- drooping a little bit and wasn't entirely happy about it had the conversation, was very clear about certain things with that player. That player then reacted brilliantly and has been a big part behind the scenes. So I think that's key as well. And that man management is so important, not only with the players that are on the pitch, but those around the squad as well that need to support their teammates. Harmony is important. 
I think he made reference to it after the Ukraine game, didn't he? He, he talked about all of those kind of fringe players that haven't uh, been playing. You do get managers, especially at club level, who get accused of, if you're not really in their 15 or 16, you kind of get ignored. The bomb uh, and, squad. Yeah, and that, that's been an issue at clubs. You don't really feel like that. And just talk, going back to Italy, what was Lorenzo Insigne's first thought when they got through to that final? It was to grab the shirt of Spinazzola, put it up to the camera. Yeah. Everybody got around and was chanting his name. And it's very easy to kind of say these things, but you really feel it. You really felt like this is a guy who's still on the journey with us, who's had this terrible injury, but we're still thinking about him. These things do matter. Crook, uh, talk to me about the forwards that Italy have got that could uh, cause England some issues because uh, I really like the physicality of Bellotti, um, but he isn't as sort of speedy or as silky as one or two of the others. He's been starting on the bench for most of the tournament, but in Mobile, I mean, a couple of times, the last two games, the big games against uh, Belgium and against Spain... I mean, this is going to come back to haunt us now, I know. Uh, but he, he, he gives the ball away too cheaply. His finishing has been off. He hasn't really impacted the game. Yeah, and that was something we touched upon again in the preview podcast. Did he have the capability to step up on, on the big stage? And at the moment, Touchwood, you would have to say no. Let's hope he doesn't suddenly uh, turn it on this weekend. I, I like Chiesa. I, I like the story. You know, I thought his dad was um, one of my heroes growing up. And I mean, the goal he scored... In, in the semi-final was absolutely sumptuous. It was lovely, was a, wasn't it? And he was a player that, that I know Kevin expected big things of in this tournament, maybe had to play second fiddle to a certain extent to Insignia and Immobile in the group stage, but has really come to the fore in the knockout stages. Clearly, he's a big game player, much like his father. What footsteps to follow in? And I think he's a big danger for England. I think he is the one that they really have to keep a close eye on. The reason I thought the Chiesa was going to have a big tournament was that I'd seen at Juventus all season when others didn't step up in big, big games that they needed to win, he did. And he would score important goals. He'd make important goals. And he has that fire within him. And he doesn't seem to play with much fear. And there's a writer, Seb Stafford-Bluer, I think was spot on about this. Because of his father, and this doesn't always apply, but I do think this might be true. Because of his father, he almost has that entitlement, that kind of hereditary ability to think, well, I should be good. I'm a Chiesa. <laughs> I should be able to deal with this. And you kind of feel like he's got that. And that ability to deal with the big occasion is massive. The one thing about Immobile, he was heavily backed by Mancini the other day, who yeah. said, as far as I'm still aware, he won the European Golden Shoe for all of the goals he scored for Lazio. So it was like, you know... He did, he but scoring away from strike. Rome is a bit of a problem for him. If you look at his goal-scoring yeah. record, it's impeccable in the Stadio Olimpico, <laughs> yeah. uh, not so much elsewhere. Uh, but it, like you, you mentioned Chiesa in the hereditary, uh, the talent. I mean, I must admit, it doesn't always follow that way. My dad is a fantastic painter and decorator, but I hate... <laughs> I, I, I hate putting emulsion on a wall let alone trying to cut in it's an absolute nightmare um, but <laughs> you know what though? this this tournament makes you feel old doesn't it because we're talking about Chiesa uh, Choram was there it's not the only Henrik thing that Lars makes, makes me feel Henrik old Henrik Larsson's anyway. son was in the Sweden squad I mean yeah. come on but yeah. these are players that what five years ago it feels like five years ago we were watching at their pomp and now their kids are doing it it's, the worst oh, thing is you, when you, you feel like, sick I sit there and uh, I write down a player's age and he's younger than my daughter that's like oh god seriously that's terrifying oh, that, that is, is horrible it really is <laughs> you know on the subject of age all. on yeah. the subject of age by the way um, I've put together a package uh, for the build up to the game on Sunday for Talk Sport uh, looking that was back quick 
looking back on 1966 and not so much the game, but the celebrations and the build-up. And I spoke to Jimmy Ball, son of Alan, and he said that his dad, when they won the World Cup in 1966, took it in his stride because he felt they were so good that they would go on and dominate international football for tournaments to come. They didn't quite manage that. Jimmy Ball thinks this England team could. Um, he thinks they've got the perfect blend of, of youth and experience. They've got players like Jude Bellingham. I think he's going to be an absolute superstar. Sancho as well. This, we're all saying this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing for us because we're used to England disappointments. Yeah. Our sons and daughters might just have to get used to England dominating international tournaments. Uh, no one dominates international tournaments. Spain did it like, three in a row. Um, but apart from that, that doesn't happen, does it? I mean, let's be honest. Go back through the history of time. You, you barely get someone that wins a double, a, a Euros and then a, uh, a, a World Cup or the other way around. France did it, 98, 2000. But I can't recall that, that happening too often. I mean, unless you're German, in which case you just win all the time or you get to finals <laughs> all the time. But, you know, it's not something that we can get too carried away. We haven't won this one yet, Crook. Like, you can't go from being a Scotsman no, but- at the beginning of the tournament to saying that <laughs> England are going to take over the world at the end of it. I mean, that's, you know, in terms of flip-flopping, that's going completely around the whole world. No, but this doesn't have to be the end of the story. This could just be the no, start of it. I totally agree with you. And I think the one great thing about this is whatever happens on Sunday, England will go to the World Cup in 2022 with their sights on trying to win that tournament. But you know what? We always say that going into a tournament and we all hope that that's possible. Actually, there will be a chance that they will be able to achieve it. It's at a better time of the season for them. Historically, one of the big things that kills England players at tournaments is the fact they've had a really long season. I mean, this has been a ridiculously long season and they've managed this well so far. But a tournament in November and December actually might help them a little bit and the conditions aren't going to be as hot as everybody makes out i think what's massive is this whole thing about shared and learned experiences they've made a lot of references to that semi-final against croatia Mm. things they learned things they did differently and it is important and once you've managed to remove some of that baggage and i know they are at pains to stress we don't care about england losing to iceland we don't care about the teams from the past but whether they like it or not that kind of fear does seep through a lot of times they don't care about it now do they i mean that's all that's gone for this team completely the germany game was massive and they managed to win that and that was huge and they've been flying since then and the way they finished this semi-final I think was really instructive. How many times have we seen England in our lifetime in a high-pressure match, completely calm, keeping possession, keeping it away from the opposition, sticking to the plan? It was remarkable. It was really quite jarring, to be honest. I'm looking at Crook's T-shirt, and I can't remember if that's a 2002 World Cup shirt or it's the Euro 2001. I think it's... Is, it two, is that 2002? 2002. 2002. 2002. Yeah, the, uh, Before was that, that in, the in 2000, England went out because they only needed to draw a game and Kevin Keegan sent on a forward and tried yeah. to win a match against Romania. Because they went gung-ho and tried to win the match and didn't have the ability to keep hold of the ball and just manage the situation out, they went out of the tournament. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. You know, that maturity, that, that ability to manage out a situation, you saw that towards the end of the game in the semi-final, taking the ball into the corner when there were options to try and actually go on and finish the match and win it 3-1 was the, the preferred route for this team because they know that actually it doesn't matter what the scoreline looks like. What matters is getting over the line. They're not here to entertain. Win the game first. That's the priority. Entertain second. 
I wonder also how much of that is to do with confidence they have in themselves, not just as footballers, but as young men, that the sense of empowerment that the likes of Raheem Sterling having stood up to racism, Marcus Rashford with what he's done with the free school meals. This is a a group of players who are, who are confident with their place in society as well as on the football pitch. And I, I think, I think, they play football for fun and I'm not and sure it, that's always been the case with England and the other the thing is is that they've been targeted bullied maybe unfairly well certainly unfairly um, painted as mercenaries by politicians in the last year during the height of the pandemic and they haven't been knocked off course they've shown the strength of character and personality which hasn't always been apparent and actually they've just gone do you know what and and gareth southgate has led from the front with this and he does it in this way his humility his politeness his respect for other people basically says if you're going to have a go at me that's fine i'm still going to be humble i'm still going to be polite i'm still going to be thoughtful and intelligent with my answers and my discussion with you and eventually i know because I believe in my ability that you'll come round to my way of thinking. And if you don't, you don't. But I know that what I'm doing is right. And I think that's a real lesson. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant leadership. You know, Gary, I know, spoke a lot about the leadership of the country and how Gareth and Spawn. he was, uh, you know, how Gareth has shown true leadership and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, that can sometimes be perceived as straying into territory that maybe you, you shouldn't. But I, I agreed with him and I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant moment, actually. I thought he captured it. The key as well for me is it's about honest leadership. And we've talked about honesty in this show already. And that honesty, win, lose or draw, is very, very important. Because if people trust you and you are authentic, then that's half the battle. The other thing is these young guys have real conviction, whether it's taking the knee or whether it's uh, you know sticking to the plan on the field as well in terms of what Gareth has asked them to do. And we live in an era, unfortunately, where players are, through social media, as accessible as they've ever been. You know, there, there would have been a criticism of players in years gone by, of course. That pressure's mm. always been there. But now you open the social media apps and there it all is. Uh, and everybody's accessible. Everybody's a target. They have built up that resistance. And you can see that in the way they deal with everything. And the Grealish-Trippier thing is huge for me because that is a moment where Gareth Southgate says, there'll be thousands of people in, at, at Wembley. There'll be millions of people at home who think I'm an idiot for doing this. I don't care. There was a couple of people in a commentary box that were like, what the hell's going on here? That's got to be an injury, hasn't it? But no, it was a it was bold great. call. It was, it was a bold call. It was great management. I just hope that uh, because there's an awful lot of positivity now around this England team, whereas maybe at the start of the tournament there was negativity. And I hope whatever happens on Sunday, and they might not win on Sunday because Italy are a very good side it's and a, as a nation they're also a very good uh, chance they won't win exactly they're also a country who are used to gracing finals used to winning major tournaments we are not uh, Ben Chilwell was born in Milton Keynes when England last played in a final 55 years ago Milton Keynes didn't exist um, so <laughs> stat <laughs> of the tournament <laughs> <laughs> but you can have that one for free, sir. I, I and I'll nick it, yeah. I, I, I nicked it off Twitter anyway. Um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I hope that nobody gets silly, okay? If a player makes a mistake, if Jordan Pickford makes a mistake, as he did in the semi-final and gets punished, just remember where England have come from during this tournament. It yeah. is an incredible achievement just to be in the final. Just enjoy it, drink it in. Hopefully the result will go our way. If it doesn't, 
it isn't a disaster. Sometimes in football, and I've been guilty of this, it is, it is, it is one, one way or, or another. There is possible for grey area. And I think this yeah. is one of those weekends. Well, it's amazing that you are saying this, uh, with, <laughs> of all people, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, but uh, I must admit, I, I, I had a sort of... I've had a, Sort of reflection on what happened on Wednesday night, and, and there were times when I thought, did I, did I go over the top with with that moment? Did I, did I probably sort of stretch the boundaries of uh, uh, of partisanship or whatever? And and I suppose when you know everyone's going to have their opinion or whatever, but ultimately my thought process came down on the fact that I've never seen this, I've never done this, so it's never been. We've never experienced a major tournament in my lifetime. I don't know. I mean, Kevin, you, you obviously haven't seen it either. Crook, I mean, you're a lot older than us, but I don't think you've seen it either, have you? You, you weren't around in 66. No. I thought you were going to use that gag at Kev, to be honest. Now, now, that wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't do that to me. He'd only do that to you. <laughs> right, listen, uh, it, was a, it was a good experience. Great experience for everybody on Wednesday night. Let's hope there's an even better one on, on Sunday. England against Italy live on TalkSport at 8 o'clock. Uh, quick predictions and then we'll go. Kevin? England to win. Why not? <laughs> that sounded like heart ruling head but anyway go on yeah it definitely was <laughs> <laughs> go for it nil nil after 90 minutes England win on penalties oh god uh, I just want it to be a really good game and a good occasion and I really hope like, I know that um, uh, there's a lot of choice out there but whoever you choose to watch listen to the game with uh, just remember we're all in it together have a good time and as Crook says, take it all in. Keep those eyes as wide as the Wembley Arch because this does not happen nearly enough. We'll see you soon. And hopefully, when you wake up on Monday morning, we'll all be celebrating a bit of a hangover. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 